Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, I'm excited for this morning. You know, honestly, I just look at the, to be a little bit vulnerable with you, I look at that health order, that, you know, indefinite and all that type of stuff and the restrictions and all that type of things. You know, we could get upset. I mean, I said this before, we could get upset and a part of me is like, what the? I just feel like I'm a kid and someone's telling me I have to go to my room and, you know. But then at the same time, how many of you went to your room as a kid and counted God? Right? You got sent to your room, especially if that's who grew up in church. Sent to your room, left with your thoughts. And you encountered God, he spoke to you. Or how many of us actually retreat to our room when we need time with God? And so I look at this, we could either say, you know what, I'm getting forced into my room. Or maybe we could look at this as that moment where the prophet tells the woman, go into that room with your son and shut the door, no distractions, I'm going to do a miracle. Maybe he's just removing a lot of distractions. Maybe it is both crazy and convenient for us. (laughs) Convenient in the sense that he's doing a work. He wants to do a miracle. He wants to pour out. He wants the jars to be filled over and over and over again. And maybe to do that, he's pushing us as a a, a community of believers to stop relying on what we've relied on for so long. We're going to look at the Beatitudes. And I don't know about you, if you reflect back and forth over the Beatitudes the last four weeks, man, if we actually put these into practice in our life, you know, we would be very different. Now, I'm not saying we're not doing it. I'm just saying, imagine if we did it to like at least 50%. <laughs> like, if P's get degrees, right? Why aren't we going just for the pass mark? We're not even going for passes at the moment. We're just like, we're happy with the participation award as believers. I don't want a participation award. It doesn't say good and faithful participator. So it's a good and faithful servant. There is a, you've done a lot with a little, I'm going to trust you with much. I need to get over that 50% mark. Maybe as a church, maybe as an individual, if we read this, if we continue in this, God will begin to stir in you uh, a goal to get a high distinction. If you look at the routine, my, um, my brother-in-law um, posted on Facebook, he's going to love this because I never give him a shout out, but he's in Australia. Uh, one of the weird things is, is he's learning Mandarin and he's actually good at it. Oh, oh, he put this video up on the, the family chat of him like full talking Mandarin to another, another lady that speaks Mandarin. And I was like, whoa, he even sounds like he's from China. Like this is incredible. But he's like, what is he, six foot two? Six foot two Caucasian bloke that has the most Australian accent. But then when he speaks Mandarin, you're like... Something wrong with that image. But it's okay for a Chinese person to have an Australian or a Canadian accent. I don't know. Maybe that's just my racial prejudices coming out right now. But then I thought to myself, it must be weird when I go to Asian countries and I look like them. And then I'm, how you going? And they're like, what the? Who is this guy? Anyway, I digress. He posted, uh, he's teaching a, a Chinese student English, but he posted the Chinese student routine uh, daily, weekly routine, and I'm like, man, we all need to become a little bit Chinese in our godly routine because there's so much discipline, there's so much intentionality, there's so much good use, efficiency of time, there's no time to waste. I used to work in a custard, don't ask about it, custard shop, <laughs> and it had this sign on the wall, you probably heard it, it says if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. 
Um, I just feel like maybe as Christians, COVID is that sign. Hey, you had time to lean and you should have been doing something. Now you don't have times to lean anymore. Like, like let's actually do, let's work a bit. Um, and I think maybe we all just need to get A-grade Chinese student right now with our faith. Maybe we all should aim to be a doctor or a lawyer or accountant. Maybe the participation award is getting stolen from us. Like, that's only a Western concept, right? You know, like, millennials and, and, and after, we all get the participation award. Like, we're told the fact that you were born is that that's the only race you needed to win. You'll catch up. <laughs> like, you're a winner. You got it, Colin? <laughs> yeah, you did. You got it, You got a big brain, Colin. <laughs> I look at the Beatitudes and this tells me we need a proper routine in our life. Like it's not just uh, like hypotheticals. We spoke last week. It's not just these nice suggestions. These are actual real obligations to someone that loves Jesus. And furthermore, it's something we have to work on each and every day. It should be in our disciplined routine. So last week we said, blessed are the peacemaker or peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. We talked about what runs, walks in the Father, runs in the Son. We talked that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We're talking about the fact that Jesus said, I only do what, the fa- what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. Like, that is the mandate on our life. Can you honestly say in your faith right now, you only do what the fa- you see the Father do? Like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you know, the, the inference there is that he does what, what Christ does, that Christ does what the Father does. I know it's like a bit of a chain, but he's desperately trying to allow us through his grace to operate in the full understanding of his goodness. That's what God is trying to do. And Jesus preaches about this in the Beatitudes. And today we have reached the pinnacle What every beatitude has been leading towards, there has been a systematic march towards this last beatitude, and by far it is the most grinding, it's the most frustrating, it's the scariest, but it's the one we need to get in our life and use it as a measure than anything else. And this is it, Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love verse 11, it says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Oh, cool. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can I just stop here and let you know that there's a caveat? It's not blessed are those who are persecuted. It's persecuted for righteousness' sake. Like there is a reason to this persecution that leads to the great reward in heaven. I spoke to this about the team. You could put a lot of the Beatitudes into practice in your life without Jesus, but you rob yourself of the inheritance that comes with them. So you can say, blessed are the peacemaker, but if you don't know Jesus, you ain't going to be called a son of God. So you could be a blessed, it's like generosity. Like I love that these principles that God has given us is not confined to our faith. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, who's generous to others will be blessed, right? The only difference is, is they don't have an inheritance in Christ. And that's our greatest reward. And so when I look at the Beatitudes, I'm like, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Man, 
That's the caveat. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. Doesn't feel like it in the moment. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely, by the way, on my account. I like that. Because you're like, yeah, I'm blessed because people were mean to me. But you've got to ask, why were they mean to you? Because if they were mean to you because you were mean, then that's on you. <laughs> like, it says, it's falsely on my account, which means you, you're getting persecuted because you look like Jesus. But it's false because looking like Jesus is the right thing. Acting like Jesus is the right thing. But you're going to get reviled and you're going to get persecuted. People are going to say bad and nasty things about you. But if they're saying nasty things about you, Colin, because you're a nasty person... That's that's the problem, right? Is that right now I often feel like people have the issues have issues with Christians and the church, not because we look like Jesus, but we paint a good picture, but act very different. Right? You can get persecuted for that. It's not a great reason to be persecuted. Like it's it's almost justified, (laughs) if you ask me. Like nothing worse than a hypocrite telling you what to do, right? That gets you going. I could harp on that for a while. My first point is this. It's 1v1. Don't you love that? Play a computer game, 1v1. You know that feeling, right, where you feel like you're only losing because they got a better crew, so you're like, I'm calling you out, 1v1. Come on, let's see. Let's see who's... This is really what's happening. It's old world versus new creation. This is what Jesus is talking about. Actually, Paul gives us great insight when he says this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Now, some of us don't like blanket statements. You like big statements, right? Big statements keep you warm. We don't like it. It's like, no, like thin blankets. I choose to put on more like a garment. But he says all. He doesn't say some. He says indeed All who desire, not some, a few. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, not if, not but, but will be persecuted. How can Paul make such a sweeping statement? All who desire, it's easy if you think about it. And I'm not saying that we're we're simpletons. I'm just saying maybe we haven't thought about it on this level. So he makes this comment on the basis of a deep conviction about the nature of our faith versus the nature of our humanity. See, he knows through what he's learnt and what he's been revealed to by Jesus that who we are in Jesus, our new self, our new creation, is incompatible with the things of this world. So it's now 1v1. It's old world versus new creation. It's old self versus new self. See, when we know Jesus, when we get changed from the inside out, There is a tension between the message and the way of our life as Christians on one hand and the mindset and the way of life that the world has on the other hand. Conflict is inevitable. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Jesus remarked about when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake because he knows that when you become a new believer, a new creation, born again, You are now at odds with what the world says is okay and conflict is inevitable. This conviction is founded in the nature of fallen man and the nature of the new creation in Christ. Therefore, 
And you need to understand it. The conviction is found in the nature of fallen man and the nature that we have now, the new life in Jesus. Therefore, there is no expiry date to this comment. <laughs> it's like the health order all over again. <laughs> it's still true today as it was yesterday, as it was 2,000 years ago. Sooner or later, a deeply God-centered Christian, which should be us, will be mistreated for the things he or she believes in or that what they live for, being Jesus. Millions of Christians in our global village are persecuted every day for their faith. Isn't that interesting? It's only in the West, honestly, I tell you, it's really a Western concept. I bang on about this every, every time we look at a beatitude because some of the statements we make in, in the West about our faith really are, like, they're embarrassing. Like, they're, they're embarrassing in the sense that what we think we should live for, what we think actually guides our path, is irrelevant in the great cosmic war raging right now over the lives of billions of people who don't know Jesus. It's irrelevant on that front. The only thing relevant to us is faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Where in the Bible did Jesus say, I'm going to put in you these great desires that are completely founded in earthly living, and I'm going to use that because it'll make you feel good to reach others. It's not what he says in the Beatitudes. He says, actually, I'm going to turn your life upside down. I'm going to recreate you into something that is far more beneficial for the kingdom and far more beneficial for you so that you would actually have influence, not just on the earthly realms, but the heavenly realms. And this cosmic battle that's happening, you're now playing in it. You're now fighting in it. You now have influence. You're not ignorant to it. You're not on the side, on the bleachers, just watching on. You're a player on the field. You're a warrior in the army. You're making a difference. But to do that, I've got to change some things about you. I've got to equip you. So millions of Christians globally every day are persecuted. But also, to one degree or another, there's plenty of Christians who aren't. Who just go about our living. Our faith is convenient. It's safe. It's not persecuted yet, but can I tell you, the Bible tells us then, at some point, that's all going to go away. Like, it's not a bad thing that we have a respite at the moment. Don't get me wrong. Don't go pick a fight when God hasn't asked you to pick a fight. I'm just saying, don't get comfortable. And that's what, what this scripture verse tells us. Shouldn't get comfortable in the lack of persecution because it is inevitable. It, persecution is the Thanos of our world. It is inevitable. It should be inevitable. I tell people all the time, I've said this from the platform for the last few years that we've been doing this, if you're not feeling any pushback, chances are you're taking no ground. If you're not getting persecuted, chances are you haven't stepped into someone else's territory. You're just dancing at home in your own party. You've invited all the people that agree with you, enjoy the same music as you, eat the same food as you, Go to bed at the same time as you and wake up. You've invited your group, your crew. High five each other today. You did a great job today. Go to sleep, wake up. What's the meaning in that? Boring. 
There is a war going on, and it first starts in you, but believe it or not, it takes place beyond you, and that is old world versus new creation. You can write that down. You war against it all the time when you look at a magazine that's inappropriate and you should burn it. Instead, you you peruse through it. You, You do it all the time when you look at your neighbor and you think, wow, I wish I had what they had, and you get covetous and you get jealous and you get envious and you think things you shouldn't think. That's you fighting old world with new creation. Now, the, the battle's not wrong. The thoughts aren't terrible, but it's if they hold you captive or not. And then all of a sudden, are you persecuting yourself because you haven't held on to righteousness? The battle starts on the inside first, but you should overcome that relatively quickly. The Bible says that. Why? Because it says in Christ, we can overcome these things. So once the battle leaves the home front and you're, you know, you're king of your backyard, king of recess time, Right, once that's good, it's inevitable, like Thanos, that persecution will come your way. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, there's a structure to the Beatitudes, and we haven't actually talked about this, but I'm going to shoot through it now just to give you a better context. There are two groups of four in the eight when it comes to the Beatitudes. And each group of four ends with a reference to righteousness. So the first group ends with verse 6 saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the second group ends with, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So the three Beatitudes that lead to hunger for righteousness are descriptions of a kind of holy emptiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn over their needy condition, the meek, who hand their cause over to God. It's natural that all these three descriptions of emptiness should be followed by a description of hunger. So if you don't have something, you hunger for it. Right? That's the first group. That's why it ends. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed. Why? Because you have recognized the holy emptiness in your life that the first three Beatitudes have exposed. The next three Beatitudes are the descriptions not of emptiness, but of fullness. The hunger is beginning to be satisfied by overflowing mercy, by a pure heart. I love that. And a power to make peace. Oh, that's a good one. Blessed are the peacemakers. You have authority to make peace. So the righteousness longed for in verse 6 is given in the form of mercy, purity, and peacemaking. The result of this This very righteousness, the Bible tells us, is persecution. (laughs) Your mercy, your purity, your peacemaking means you're going to get persecuted. Isn't that an upside down world? That all these things are good things. Like these should be celebrated. Like when was it being merciful a bad thing? When was being pure at heart and innocent and transparent and accountable a bad thing? When was pursuing peace over conflict, bringing resolution a bad thing? But it points to something. Like this points to something. See, the root of persecution is love and justification. Not the love we know in Christ, a different type of love. Being merciful and pure and peaceable by relying on Jesus and living for his glory would lead to our persecution Hey, we can find the answer to this in the Gospel of Luke 16. You can turn with me. Chapter 16, verse 13 to 15 says this. Jesus has, uh, sorry, has just said, 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is not a money preach, don't worry. See, then comes the persecution and the mockery, because we see in verse 14 it says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and they scoffed at him. See, the persecution is partly explained here where it says they were lovers of money. Remember what I said? Love and justification. So here we found the love part. They loved money, so they scoffed at him. See, in other words, Jesus' attitude towards money is an attack on their love of money. Then comes the rest of the explanation of their mockery. Verse 15, it says, But he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. Boom. Love and justification. Their love of money, Jesus' attitude is an attack on it. They scoff at him. And then Jesus says, you do everything you can to justify yourself before men. There's two strains right now. One strain is love. Sorry, is the love of something evil or untrue. And the other strain is the need to justify that love. Isn't that interesting? We've all been there. So let's not think about this as like, oh, yeah, those Pharisees. We've all been there, right? Someone says something to you and they confront you about something you love. And so you respond even aggressive, like maybe aggressively or passive aggressively, whoever you are. Maybe you say something sarcastic. Maybe in our modern terms, we, we, we scoff at them in some sort of a, you know, condescending comment, right? <laughs> We've all been there. Christians... It sounds a little bit different for us sometimes. Like someone does something and we make comment about it. I'm not looking at you, Andrew, personally. I'm just looking at the camera. <laughs> right? Your guilt's your guilt. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> we do something, we say something about somebody and then, and then we realise it's the wrong thing but we justify that comment by what? They're, they're a nice person. They're a good person. Oh, don't they love Jesus? <laughs> Right, it just sounds a bit different, but we've, we've been condescending. We've been upset with the way they've done something and it's afflicted something either we've committed to that we shouldn't have, like that Christian who knows nothing about the Word of God but is just so passionately in love with Jesus, goes says random things to people and you're like, that's not how you do it. That person's going to be put off and you oh, I can't believe they're at it again. Oh, but at least they love Jesus, you know. What we're doing is, is we are, we're making comment about a behaviour we don't like because maybe we feel a little bit ashamed that we've kept our faith under wraps even though we know more about the Bible than that person does. They're more childlike than we are and we feel convicted, but instead of dealing with our conviction, we make a comment and then we justify it by just making out that they're a good person. But the Pharisees do the same thing here with money. Jesus comes and says, you know what? You can't have two sovereigns in your life. You can only serve one. You can only be devoted to one. Because they loved money more than they loved God, they scoffed at him and justified their love before men. See, it's in part Jesus' purity. It's the fact that it's true that is the issue. See, it's essential to know if you're going to be saved, then you're going to have to make a decision on who you're going to serve. Pharisees love money, justify themselves, they put Jesus down. So the standard operating procedure of self-justification 
looks like that. You defend what you love even though you shouldn't love it and you justify it by putting the other person down. Which means for us as Christians, we know what the root of all persecution is then. We're going to live pure. We're going to live mercifully. We're going to live as peacemakers. And because of that, it's going to conflict with what others have decided to serve. And because of their decision to serve what they love, they are going to persecute us as a form of justification and servitude to their God. That's why we have different weapons. That's why the Beatitude says, don't fight like normal people fight. You're not fighting against flesh and blood. Paul writes about that. We know it. God tells us. This is not a flesh and blood thing. Therefore, why fight with weapons that injure the person when you could fight with weapons that injure the darkness behind them? That can push back. That breaks chains. That men's hearts. Let's, let's fight on that level. You heard that saying, no rest for the wicked? Right? No rest for the wicked. The full saying is actually, no rest for the wicked, even less for the righteous. We forget the second part. That's the good part. No rest for the wicked, even less for the righteous. Dot, 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 you will be persecuted. (laughs) What a promise. You will be persecuted. Turn to the person in the chat. Just write, as a confirmation, you understand this. I will be persecuted. I will inevitably meet Thanos. <laughs> so we can see why a devoted uh, life to righteousness and godliness will be persecuted, reviled, and spoken against. So this is how it would look like. If you cherish the sanctity of sex, you will be attacked by people who love the concept of free sex. You will be persecuted. That's a given. I know that's a given because you've all been in moments where you could have said something and you didn't. Why didn't you say it? I'll look at every camera. (laughs) Super hickey. If you embrace moderation and temperance, see, your life would be a statement against those who love recreational drugs and alcohol, who get addicted to it. If you pursue self-control and health, your life will be an indictment to those who enjoy excess eating and lazing around. See, if you celebrate and live a life of simplicity and happiness, You will show the folly in the pursuit of luxury and wealth and will be persecuted. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. That's a fight that will happen each and every time. If you like wake up one morning, you're like, oh God, I really feel like I could go for a rumble. I just want to feel the punches. I want to know that I'm alive. Just walk humbly. See what happens. Because there's nothing like someone's evil pride or your own evil pride to punch back. Like it'll punch every time, right in the face. Like on the, put a punch emoji on the, face, on the, on the, the chat, just, it'll happen. 
I love this. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. (laughs) That person that's on time every time, right? The standard, steadfast guy or woman. We just compartmentalize them, right? Oh, they do that so that they can show the leader how good they are. That's the only reason they do it. They don't have the same struggles I have. They don't have kids. They don't live on the other side of the bridge. Do you know what I find interesting? I've noticed more often than not, the people that live further from church turn up earlier or on time better than those who live closer. It's weird, isn't it? Now, I'm, except for Colin. Colin turns up on time every time. Right, Muffin? Uh, There will be a meme happening that will explain that comment. Right, Josh? Good job. If you speak compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. Oh, I love that one. If you're earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. (laughs) Hey, if you're spiritually minded and grounded, you'll expose the worldly mindlessness of those around you. The robotic nature of the mysticisms of this world. Hold steadfast to the things that are fickle and have no substance. You will expose them with your anchor in Christ, which means you will be persecuted. Each and every one, we could keep writing lists. Think about something that has annoyed you about somebody who was doing the right thing. Write that list and be a better person. Like we don't have to look at others to judge them. Just look at your own manifesto and see how ruined you are, how wretched you are how this applies to more of our problems than the the speck in somebody else's eyes. Like if I was to look at this, I'd think about my road rage when it comes to cyclists. Like they shouldn't be on the road. They don't pay insurance. They don't pay attention. They run red lights at the traffic lights. Have you noticed that? Like they are the most vulnerable person and they put the onus of trust on 10 other vehicles of 10 other people have 10 other life issues and they run that one, man. <laughs> the greatest oxymoron in my life is a Christian cyclist. It's incompatible. Blessed are those who walk or drive. It's the ninth beatitude. I could go on forever. But you see, that's my manifesto. I'm going to go home. I promise you, I'll write it up. My next point is this. I have no idea what time I have because the countdown says 35 minutes. Yep, cool. 35 more minutes, guys. It's a long one. <laughs> Let's start again. Okay. <laughs> My next point is the rule of two. There will always be two responses to a life of righteousness. See, when you have this deep desire to be godly, when you have this deep desire to be righteous in all areas of your life and in your relationships, When you follow Jesus with righteousness and his strength for his glory, there often is only two possibilities for people to respond, especially those who choose to stay around you. Not everyone will. We see John describe this 
in uh, the Gospel of John 3, 20, 21, it says, Jesus tells them this, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So that is one possible reason. Hating the light and not accepting it. But then he says, But whoever does what is true and comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, gives us the option number two, which is doing the truth, coming to it, and freely admitting to all the good in us is accomplished by God, leads to these two options. One, being persecution. Two, being conversion. That's what Jesus is saying. First person is going to persecute you because you show them the light and the light exposed their evil. The other person is going to be converted because you show them the light. Their evil was exposed, but they saw goodness was in God and therefore turned from their wicked ways and they pursued the things of God, giving Him glory. So really we're left with two things, persecution and conversion. See, we see these two options in Matthew 5.10. We just said it. And Matthew 16, where he talks about who takes a light and hides it under a basket. See, the question is then, what about all the unbelievers in my life who are neither converting nor persecuting, who are just civil, even polite? What about them? Well, there are at least two possible reasons. I love these reasons. Either your light is under a basket... (laughs) And you're keeping the cross from them. Therefore, they're not stumbling in their evil, but running in it, enjoying it. Like just like a gazelle dancing through the paddocks of death. See, because you're not letting your distinctive values show to them. You're not letting them to see Christ in your life. They don't see the light. That's probably one reason. Or the second one, you're letting your values show and the people around you are either moving to one or, or the other of these two outcomes. Either they're moving slowly towards conversion or they're moving slowly towards persecuting you. Hey, both of those things you can be content in. Do you know, when I was a kid back in the 90s, there was an ad. We're going to watch a video soon because I found this ad. And it's a shampoo ad. It's ridiculous. It's Australian. So you're going to laugh. But at the same time, they say something at the end of the ad that for whatever reason, my whole life has stuck with me. It has literally stuck with me. So let's watch this ad and, and then I'll talk about it. I'm not going to preach about it, but the last thing this, this lady says actually changed my life. Let's watch it. Wishing for really healthy, shiny hair. Go out and get it with Pantene Treatment Shampoo. My hair was brittle and lifeless. Solution. Pantene Treatment Shampoo with Pro-Vitamin B5 conditioner that meets the strict standards of the Swiss Vitamin Institute. It penetrates from the roots to the tips, making your hair so healthy it shines. Pantene Treatment Shampoo for hair so healthy it shines. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. There it is. That haunted me as a kid. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. That scared me. And when I was writing this message, when I was studying this, when I was looking at what what great minds had to say about this beatitude, that's all I could think about, is that they're either moving towards conversion or persecution. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Maybe you should turn to someone in your lounge room and say, hey, 
It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Do you know how we know this? Because there's things in our life that God has promised us. There's transformation that needs to happen in our life that we can get so disheartened because it didn't happen instantaneously so that we could take a selfie and put it on Instagram because it's not happening right before our eyes. We think it's not happening, but we serve the God of the unseen. And can I tell you, if it's happening in your life, it might not happen overnight, but it will happen. If it's happening in your life, it's happening in other people's life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get to inherit the kingdom of heaven because you pursue people with your righteousness. They might hate you for it. They might love you for it. But either way, at the end of the day, you can be content that you are doing the right thing. You're saying the right thing. You're living the right thing because you will be blessed here on earth and in heaven. It won't happen overnight. Come on, let's get rid of that concept of instantality out of our life. We don't need it. It serves no purpose. It's not real. The only thing that can create something instantly is my God. Yet in all of that, He still took six days. In all of that, He still took thousands of years. In all of that, He's still marching on into eternity. Time is irrelevant in the hands of God, but so relevant to us. Stop living that instantaneous holiness. It doesn't exist. It's a joke. Don't live a joke. Don't be the punchline of everyone's comments. The way you live right now needs to be examined in light of this beatitude. That's, I mean, that's for all of us. We need to examine ourselves right now. We should examine ourselves every day. Make sure that there isn't some sort of world creep in our life, taking back what God set us free from. We need to examine ourselves and see if we, are we playing some kind of cowardly, incognito Christian? If so, can I encourage you? You should repent. Don't use that word often. You need to repent. You need to resolve this issue. You need to become more sincere in your expression of who we really are in Christ. Our identity in Jesus is beautiful, something you shouldn't be ashamed of. You should be proud of it. You should be empowered by it. It should encourage you to run harder, go further. It should encourage you to find rest, stand behind your champion. In all of this, we should not assume that because there's no persecution right now or no conversion right now, that the fault must lie with us. The gestation period of any new birth takes time. It could be happy, you know, nearing a happy ending of conversion or it could be nearing the storm that is ready to break against you. Either way, because of Jesus, you can be very content. You can be content. And that's why I said this morning, man, this world is crazy. I'm sick of striving in things that we have no control over. As a church, our job is to rise and advance. We can only do that if we are content in our champion. If we're content in the great upside-down kingdom we have been resurrected into. The great privilege it is not to be bound to the chains of death, but to be bound to the King of Kings and the Lord. That is a privilege that we should not hide under a basket, but live out righteously. 
This is not an, uh, a suggestion, it is an obligation. And I can tell you right now, the church in the West is heading towards persecution. And in some places, it's right there. We shouldn't be afraid on the level of, of losing what we have. We should be afraid of losing the reality of our faith in trying to comply to the materialism of this world. I can honestly promise you this, 10 years from now, It's not going to be easier than right now. We as the West will have the great privilege of joining our brothers and sisters globally in real persecution. We'll have the great privilege of sitting at their feet and asking them to teach us how to persevere in Christ. We will not turn to our cameras. We will not turn to our fanciful words. We will turn to those who have laid down their lives for the goodness of God. We will repent and we'll ask them humbly to show us not just to survive but to thrive so that the goodness of our God could reign in and through our righteousness. That is my promise to you. I honestly believe it. Part of me is anxious for my kids. The other part of me is so excited. But... We can do what we always do as a church, Avant, we get to advance. And what I love about that is, let's not wait for the fight to be brought to us. Let's live righteously. Let's bring the fight to them. Let's worship church. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.